Hey, this is the time of service where I usually tell you where to open your Bibles to, and uh, I'm going to skip around so much, I don't know what to tell you, but have your Bibles in front of you, or if you have a smartphone or uh, iPad or whatever, have your app there so that you can uh, jump around with me, because as we've been talking about, um, we're trying to become self-feeders, right? We're we're, we're trying to learn how to feed ourselves on God's Word. And so, uh, honestly, I could put anything on the side screens. And if you don't have your Bible with you, you would have to believe that that's what that verse says. But if you have your Bible, you can cross-check me and make sure that I'm not lying to you. So that's important. Hey, I want you to imagine for a moment that you're a reporter. Or maybe TV, maybe newspaper. Do they still have newspapers? Whatever. You're, uh, you're, you're a reporter for a large news organization, and you get the call to do your first big interview. And you're excited. This is the moment you've been waiting for. You're going to do uh, have a conversation with somebody, maybe somebody famous, probably maybe a celebrity, uh, maybe it's a head of state, maybe it's a Kardashian. I don't know who it is, but uh, doesn't matter. You're going to ma- have an interview, but there's a problem, and the problem is you don't know much about this person. And so, what do you do? Well, you could go in cold, and you could ask some generic questions to kind of get to know them. But but it would be better, right, if you had some background information on that person. And so let's say you do, you work for a large news organization, and so you, uh, your boss is very generous, and uh, he or she calls 40 of the best writers that she knows and has them put together a background piece for you. And some of these writers write about personal interactions they've had with this person. Some write about his personality. Some write about his accomplishments and what he's uh, done, and some write very personal stories. And what you have when you're finished is this very comprehensive background piece about this famous person you're about to have a conversation with, and uh, it has a lot of information about their, their life, their accomplishments, their history, their personality. Now, when you go to have that conversation, what are you going to talk about? You're going to talk about the stuff that's in that background piece, right? You're going to ask questions about the statements that are in there. You're going to echo some of the things that other people have said about them. You're going to ask them about that. Uh, With all these accounts put together, you've got something now you can talk about. That's what we have here in the Bible. We have the scriptures to use as our guide to having conversations with God, to having prayers. Uh, And if you use the scriptures as your guide, what you end up with is a much more complete picture uh, through your conversation of the person that you have, right? That's exactly what happens. And so we're in the last week of this series called Eat the Scroll. And what we've been talking about is the importance of studying and meditating on the Word of God. Throughout this whole series, we've adopted a passage from Hebrews 5 as kind of our guiding scripture. Hebrews 5.11 says this, We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear because you no longer try to understand. In fact, by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Now, if you were here last week, you may remember my friend John Perry came up here and shared how that verse had spoken to him during the 40-day challenge when he meditated that on that. He said, I, I realize that I've been a Christian long enough. I should be teaching by now, but I'm not. I still need milk. And, and it really motivated him to dive deeper into God's Word, and hopefully that's helped you too. Uh, verse 13 says, Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant, that's an important word, we'll get to that in a second, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And so week one, we asked this question, what is milk? And we said, well, milk is predigested food, right? So if you're a mom uh, of, of any species, but a mom of a human, you eat food, and then you digest it, and then you're able to produce milk so that the infant can digest. 
And so, uh, but then two things happen as a child matures. First is they start to eat solid food. And second, they learn to feed themselves. And both of those are important steps in the process of maturing uh, from a child to an adult. Well, I said that word infant is important. That word infant that's used in verse 13, that Greek word that's used there means immature. That's the word that's translated as infant, but it can also mean unskilled or untaught. Now, here's why that's important. Many Christians go their whole life without ever learning the skill of feeding themselves on God's Word. And so how do we learn this skill if we want to become taught instead of untaught or skilled instead of unskilled? Verse 14 says, by constant use, we train ourselves. By constant use, we develop the skill of feeding ourselves on God's Word. We practice it over and over again. That's why we presented the 40-day challenge. If you haven't been here, what we've been doing since day one of this series is uh, we've spent 40 days, or it'll be 40 days this week, uh, in the Word of God. We put together 40 scriptures. We passed out a card. There are some still at the Info Hub. We put it on our app. And so our whole church is going through these 40 scriptures together, and we're meditating on them, and we're praying over them. And what we're trying to do is develop the skill of feeding ourselves on God's Word. And we said from the beginning there are lots of ways to study the Bible, but we've been using what we call the SOAP method. SOAP, S-O-A-P, stands for Scripture, Observation, Application, and Prayer. And so if you've missed any of these messages, I just want to tell you, if you go on iTunes and search Genesis Church Carmel, uh, you can find all those. If you have our Genesis Church app on your Android phone or on your iDevice, uh, you can find them all there as well. Uh, They're all important, and so it's really not five messages. Uh, It's really one message that's three and a half hours long, but if we thought if we gave you that all at one time, you'd probably, some of you'd leave. And so we broke it into five pieces so that you could have that, but really they all go together. So this morning, I want to focus on that last letter, that P, uh, prayer in the SOAP method, praying through scripture. What does it mean to pray through scripture? Uh, Just like you would use that written background uh, that your boss prepared for you to go guide you into a conversation with a celebrity, we can use the written scripture to guide our conversations with God. In fact, here's what I want you to take away today. You can use words from scripture to guide your prayers. You can and should use words from Scripture to guide your prayers. So sometimes those of us who are Christians, we've, we've kind of separated the idea of prayer and Bible study, right? We've taken those and made them two separate things. But Jesus said that, that the whole idea of using Scripture on his own, that, that the point of Scripture is lost if it doesn't guide us into an intimate relationship with God. In fact, in John 5, he's talking to the Pharisees, Uh, If you don't know, the Pharisees were people that had a really good handle on what Scripture said. And Jesus tells them this. He says, you study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very Scriptures that testify about me, Jesus said, about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. And I read that, and I think we all know what Jesus is talking about there. Because most of us know, don't we? Someone who knows Scripture really well, but whose life doesn't show the fruit of a relationship with Jesus. Don't you know somebody like that? Man, if you're not a Christian and you're here, you probably know a lot of people like that. And maybe it's the reason that you haven't become a Christian yet, because you see so many people who can spout Scripture out of their mouth, but their life doesn't show any fruit of walking in an intimate relationship with Jesus. It hasn't changed their life. Author A.W. Tozer said it this way. He said, The Bible is not an end in itself, but a means to bring men into an intimate and satisfying knowledge of God. 
The Bible is meant to guide our conversations with God. It should lead us into intimacy with Him. And prayer is the main expression of a conversation with God. Uh, I said last week the key to intimacy in any relationship is conversation, right? The way we get closer to somebody is through conversations with them. Now, shared activities are great. When we do things together, we can create memories and we can have a good time. But isn't it true that real intimacy is built over conversation, whether it's around a campfire or maybe it's over the dinner table or it's in a small group setting. We get to know each other by the words we speak to each other. Conversation is the key to cultivating intimacy with God as well. Prayer is not the goal. Just like the Bible's not the goal, prayer is not the goal, but prayer is the vehicle we use to develop intimacy with God. I'm reading this book right now. It's maybe the best book I've read in several years. Paul, Miller, uh, Paul E. Miller wrote this book. It's called A Praying Life. And in that book, he says this, Prayer is all about relationship. It is intimate and hence at eternity. He says, when we're praying, we don't think about communication or words, but about whom we are talking with. Prayer is simply the medium through which we experience and connect to God. And we can find, I think, no better model of that than Jesus himself. Jesus used prayer as a tool to connect with his heavenly Father. In fact, near the end of his life, as Jesus prayed, he was praying for his disciples. He was praying for me and you in John 17. And this is what he said to his heavenly Father. He said, now this is eternal life, that they, that we, know you, God, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now, the Greek word that's translated here as know is the word gnosko. You can tell I used my blue letter Bible this week, right? Told you about that last week. The word gnosko, it's a knowledge grounded in personal experience. It's a very intimate word. It's not know like from a head knowledge standpoint. It's know uh, to know someone from an intimacy standpoint. In fact, um, the word gnosko was used as an idiom in that culture for an intimate romantic relationship. Uh, In fact, if you ever heard somebody say that they know someone in the biblical sense, that's the word they're talking about, that word gnosko. And so Jesus says this is is eternal life, that they have an intimate relationship with you. See, this was the secret to Jesus' life, total dependence on and intimacy with his heavenly Father. Jesus talked about this all the time. You you can't read too much of the New Testament without seeing this in the life and the words of Jesus. He said, the son can do nothing by himself, only what he sees his father doing. He says, and the son seeks only to please the one who sent him. The son speaks just what the father has taught him. And whatever I say is just what the father has taught me to say. He also said, I and the father are one. You just can't get any more intimate than that. Gnosko, intimate knowledge of the Father. It was the secret to Jesus' life, and it can be the secret to our lives as well. Now, we may be tempted to think, well, sure, intimacy with his Father was easy for Jesus. After all, he was God. But to say that is to deny what the Scriptures had to say about Jesus' habits and patterns. In fact, uh, Luke 2.52 says, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. I think about that. Let that sink in for a moment. Jesus had to grow in wisdom. The, the one who created the word that John says he was the word had to learn the word. That Jesus grew in favor with God and man, that that intimacy wasn't there right away. It had to be developed. It had to be grown. He had to cultivate intimacy with God. And the primary way he did that was through a pattern of prayer in his life. In the Gospels, we have over 30 instances of Jesus praying to his Father. Prayer played such a prominent role in, uh, in Jesus' life that 
of all the things the disciples could have asked Jesus to teach them, teach us to do miracles, teach us to heal the sick, teach us to interpret scriptures. What they asked him was, teach us to pray. Father, teach us to pray. That was the secret to his life. What, what made Jesus so special was the intimate relationship that he had with his father. And prayer was the primary vehicle through which he cultivated that intimacy. There's probably no better passage in Scripture that sums up Jesus' prayer life than Luke 5.16. It says this, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And you can look at that verse and you can see, I can see what's wrong with my prayer life right there. Right? I mean, the words stuck out to me are often, withdrew, lonely. Right? It doesn't say Jesus prayed before all of his meals. Uh, Jesus prayed before bedtime. You know, he always prayed when he had a chance, when he got time. He made a habit of getting away from the busyness of life to have a conversation with his father, to spend quiet time alone with his father. Let me ask you this. If Jesus needed that, how much more do we need that in the busyness of our lives? Let's pattern our life after Jesus and the pattern he set for us and often withdraw to lonely places to pray and to meditate on Scripture. So the 40-day the soap challenge that we uh, set, up, set up with you the first week ends this Thursday. And some of you are nervous already, I know, because you've talked to me about it. Like, what am I going to do next? Well, the goal is kind of to get you to be a self-feeder. <laughs> and so we've prepared a Good Friday guide for you. We're not having a Good Friday service because we have a Thursday night Easter service. And to have a Good Friday service after we celebrate Easter would be a little bit backwards. So uh, we've prepared a Good Friday guide. It's at the Info Hub. If you want to take a paper one, we'll put it on the app this week. And so if you want to do a self-study at home on Friday, we'll have that available to you. But after that, I just want to point you to a couple resources. If you have a smartphone or an, an iPad, uh, go to uh, YouVersion, Y-O-U-Version. That's the Bible app. If you search Bible, that's the first one that comes up. And there are many, many reading plans on there. Uh, I, I recommend you start with Psalms or Proverbs. But again, um, use the SOAP method to go through those scriptures. Don't just read. Don't just buzz through them. Use the SOAP method to study those scriptures. Uh, if you don't have that, you can go online to BibleGateway.org. That's a resource that I use a lot. Bible Gateway has several reading plans. It can take you through them. Or just open up a book of your Bible and start reading. But again, don't just read. Meditate, pray about. And so we want you to use the scriptures to guide your prayers. Using the Bible to guide your conversations with God, um, as we're going to talk about here in a minute, has several benefits. And so I'm just going to lay these out really quickly uh, so that you know I believe this is the right way to go. Uh, First benefit, it helps us stay focused when you're praying. Does anyone in this room have a problem staying focused when you pray? Oh, Lord, please help me to squirrel, right? We're off to something else. Um, I have a problem staying focused when I pray. And so praying through scripture helps us to do that because the words are there in front of us. It helps us to pray according to God's will. If you're somebody that says, God, if it be your will, well, when you're praying through scripture, you know it's God's will because it's God's word. God's word contains his will. It helps us to know what to say, how to pray for ourselves, how to pray for family and friends. If it's written in scripture, we know we can pray that. We're safe praying those words. It helps us to better understand how God works. And so sometimes we're, we're tempted to pray something, but we don't know, does God really work that way? Is that how that works? Well, if it's in Scripture, we know that that's how God works. Also, praying His Word helps us to memorize Scripture. When you make a passage of Scripture or a verse your prayer, you will memorize it more quickly because you're praying it all the time. So what I wanted to do today was um, give you a very practical guide 
In fact, I thought my goal today should be when you walk out of this room, you should be able to have more effective prayers. Like you should be able to know how to pray scripture better. And so very practical. If you've got the notes on the way in, you'll see that there are seven uh, practical ways to pray through scripture. And that's what we're going to talk about the rest of the day. Seven ways to speak God's word back to God. All right. And so here they are. Number one is this. You can agree and believe. Agree and believe. Have you ever noticed that when you meet someone new, uh, usually the first thing we do is look for common ground? Uh, where do you live? Oh, where do you come from? Where do you work? Where did you go to school? Oh, really? I've got a friend that went to school there. Did you know so-and-so? Oh, you lived in that town? Whereabouts? What street? Oh, I had a neighbor that used to live on that street. Did you ever go to that diner at 5th and Main? Oh, man, their chicken fried steak is to die for. Isn't that so good? You look for those places where your paths have intersected, right? You're looking for things that you can agree with, common ground, things we have in common. Well, when you're having a conversation, it's very natural to try to find opportunities to agree with someone, right? And so have you ever noticed that when you have a conversation, especially if it's with someone new, you have a tendency to repeat their words back to them? And so someone will say, boy, it's a really nice day today. And you'll say, man, it is a nice day today. You, ever, you do that? Well, you look for opportunities to agree with them. And, and even if they say something that you don't agree with, you look for opportunities to repeat the words back to them that you do agree with. Have you seen that? So let me give you an example. I agree with you that something in Washington needs to change, but your candidate's an idiot. Right? You look for those ways to repeat the words that you agree back to them before you tell them where they're wrong, right? And so we want to, often in a conversation, we will take the words someone speaks to us, receive them, and then speak them back. If you think about it, it's like tossing a ball back and forth in your yard with your child. You're going to receive the ball and throw it back to them. Well, we, do that, we can do that with God's word. We can receive the word and send it back to him uh, in our conversations as we read and study the Bible. We have an entire book full of words that a real person wrote to us. And these words, we can receive these words and we can send them back to God, speak them back to them. So whenever you're reading a passage of scripture and it says something you agree with or believe, send that back to God. Say those words back to him, speak them back. And so I'll give you an example of how this works. I'm going to use just two verses from the soap challenge uh, for tomorrow. It says this, uh, James 4 is for tomorrow. James 4, 1 and 2. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. So to agree and believe might look something like this as you're praying through that scripture. Father, you're right. My selfish desires have caused so much conflict in my life. I covet something, and when I don't get what I want, I throw a fit. But I see now the proper response is to bring it to you. Excuse me for just a second. Give me one more example from Psalm 86. Uh, the scripture says this, But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. So to agree and believe with that, you might say, God, I agree, you are a compassionate and gracious God. You have been so gracious with me in my life. I know that you are abounding in love and faithfulness. I've seen it time and time again. When we agree and believe in prayer, what we're doing is we're aligning our heart with the heart of God. We're saying your words, I'm going to speak them back to you so that our hearts line up. We find common ground with our heavenly father. We cultivate intimacy with him through that. 
So we can agree and believe. Here's the second way uh, that you can pray, use the Bible to guide your conversation. Give thanks and praise. Give thanks and praise. This is a very biblical way to pray. If you're, uh, in, a, in a practical way, if you manage people for a living, if you're a boss or supervisor at work, you should know that one of the best, best ways to win people's hearts is to praise them when they do well and to thank them when they do something good. Right? If you uh, are a parent, <laughs> you need to know that your children benefit from hearing uh, when they've done something well, from praise and thanks. Uh, if you are a spouse, most marriage counselors will tell you that one of the most important ways to build intimacy with your spouse is to thank them when they do something important, to praise them when they do something for you. And so give thanks and praise is important in every relationship. It's not any different in our relationship with God. And so when you're reading a passage of scripture, you come across a phrase that sparks your appreciation for God, tell him, tell him about it. James 4 continues in verse 8, come, uh, come near to God and he will come near to you. So you might see that and you go, oh, thank you, God, for promising to come near to me. I'm so thankful that you stick with me and that you walk with me no matter what my circumstances are. I know that if I come to you, that you'll come near me. Thank you, God, so much for that. Giving God thanks and praise should be a regular practice in our lives. It's a normal part of our conversations with him. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Do you give thanks in all circumstances? I give thanks in some circumstances. I don't know about you, but there are some circumstances I don't give thanks for, but that's not what Scripture tells me. He says, This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus that we give thanks in all circumstances. Giving thanks and praise to God lifts him up and elevates him to his proper place in our hearts. It helps us to recognize that every good and perfect gift comes from above. On any given day, uh, giving praise and thanks can turn our attitudes away from the struggles and sorrows of life uh, and remind us of the joys and blessings we have in God. So important. Number three, the third way we can pray through Scripture is to ask for understanding. This is a frequent prayer we see throughout the Bible, and and especially in the Old Testament. In Proverbs 2, we talked about this verse last week. Uh, Proverbs 2 says, Indeed, if you call out for insight, if you cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. We can ask for understanding. If you're meditating on Scripture, you get stuck on a passage, ask Him about it. Say, God, I see this passage and it contradicts something that I'm, some way that I'm living my life. Help me to understand it. Help me to, I, I see a word in here that I don't quite understand what you meant by that. Help me to understand it, God. In Psalm 119 alone, the writer asked 20 times, teach me or give me understanding. If the writer of one of the Psalms asked that, we shouldn't be afraid to ask it too. Father, help me understand this truth. Give me more insight, Lord. Ask for greater understanding. The number four way that we can pray scripture is to ask for help. Ask for help. You can give prayers and petitions for yourself. Uh, This is the way most of us pray, but we don't always do this aligned with scripture. But this is what David did in Psalm 139. David said, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David said, search my heart, God. Point out the offensive ways in me. I don't know about you guys, but I don't always see the offensive ways in me. How many of you would raise your, how many, raise your hand? How many of you would say, I'm an offensive person generally? Yeah, okay, two or three of you. I agree. No, I'm just kidding. 
Most of us don't see ourselves as being offensive, right? But we can't see the ways that we're offensive. But God sees all of those ways. And so we can ask him for help. Show me the way that I'm offending you, God. Show me the places in my life where my life is not lining up with the life you have for me. Ask for help in that. Sometimes you're reading, meditating, you're soaking through scripture, you're praying, and some word or, or verse just jumps off the page at you. And sometimes that's because God is saying, I, I got some work to do with you in this area. I want to show you, I want to help you understand from my perspective. Ask me for help with that. Because you've got to let him in. There, there, is, there is sin in our lives that we can't remove. But God can, and he wants to do that. Ephesians 4.24 said that we were created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And we can't do that work. But God can, and he wants to help you with that. But you've got to ask him. It's part of developing that intimate relationship. He won't do it without your invitation. Uh, Number five, the fifth way that you can do that is you can pray for someone else. If you're following in your notes, the the notes version is a little different than this. It probably says, ask for help for someone else. But we can pray, we can ask for help for someone else. So along with highlighting a passage of scripture, sometimes the Lord will bring to your mind a person, a face, a name, uh, circumstances in which that particular passage addresses. Uh, This is a this is God, I think, inviting us to intercede on behalf of someone else, so that individual, that set of circumstances. So you, you see that passage of Scripture, you, you ask questions, you listen for questions. A great example of this is in Colossians 1. Now, this was in your 40-day challenge this week if you're reading along. But Paul, the Apostle Paul, had, has helped plant this church uh, in Colossae, and he's writing a letter to them, and he's praying for them. And he says this, We continually ask God to fill you, with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Wow, what a great prayer. What a great prayer to pray uh, for our kids right? If you pray for your kids, you pray scripture over your kids, what a great prayer that they would know, uh, that they would have great endurance and patience, that they would give joyful thanks to the Father, that they would know that they're qualified in his eyes for the inheritance of the holy people. What about somebody in your life that's struggling with their faith? What a great prayer to pray over them. Someone who would say that they're a Christian, but their life doesn't match that. What a great prayer to pray over them or someone whose identity isn't really rooted in Christ. It's a powerful place to get to when you can intercede on somebody else's behalf and you can pray for help with them. We have, uh, most of them are in our first service, but we have a group of um, prayer warriors. We have a prayer team here at this church. And I think what they do is go around seeking people who are sick or need prayer. And then they gather around them between services and pray over them. And so uh, this didn't, I didn't start this. This kind of started on its own. I'm sure the Holy Spirit was involved and tapped somebody on the shoulder with this. But, but last week I was here and my friend, um, Diane Hole, I don't know how many of you know Diane. Diane and her husband, Gene, and their daughter and their granddaughter, they come uh, to Genesis Church, have been coming for several years. But Diane, about six months ago, was diagnosed with very, very aggressive pancreatic cancer. And the doctor gave her 18 months to live. And um, when Diane told me that, we put her on the prayer list. We started praying for her, prayed very aggressively for her. And uh, we're praying uh, through this round of chemo. Well, she was supposed to get her 
results from her first PET scan after her first round of chemo on Monday. And so Sunday, last Sunday, uh, this group was praying for her and said, Steve, can you come and pray? And so the, word, the Lord gave me some words from Scripture. I, it wasn't from me. Uh, it's from the Lord. But when, when I was done, I said, Lord, I just pray that when they uh, look at the results of this PET scan, that they w- there would be no cancer. And that the doctors would think this is such a miracle that they can only point to you. And Diane calls me in the office on Monday and said, you're not going to believe this. But they looked at my PET scan, and there is no cancer. Yes, hallelujah is right. And she said, um, Diane told me today, she said, uh, she was here for service. She said, the words that you spoke in your prayer are the same words the doctor spoke to me. And, uh, and she said, there is no cancer. It's a privilege to intercede for someone. And I just want to say, I don't have the power of healing. So if you're asking that, that's not, that's only from the Lord. Now, we can pray all these things, but I want to be careful. I want to be careful how we use prayer for other people because prayer is an instrument, but it's not a blunt instrument. And sometimes we want to use pray, prayer to, to mold people into the way that we would have them. Okay, and so let me just give you an example. If, if you and your spouse pray together, uh, ladies, if you pray with your husband, don't pray. And God, I lift up John to you. Uh, help him to see what a godly wife he has, that she is more valuable than rubies, that she lacks nothing of value. You know, the Proverbs 31 woman here. Um, and also don't use prayer as an excuse to gossip. Uh, don't pray. Hey, as we're praying today, can we pray for Lily? Because I saw her the other day at Panera and she was with this man that definitely wasn't her husband. And even though he was tall with dark hair, really good looking, I think he works down at the school. Well, anyway, could we just pray that she wouldn't walk in the way of sinners? Is that hit a little too close to home? Sorry about that. Hey, when you're praying scripture for others, I think it's best uh, to follow Jesus' instruction on prayer is to do it in a quiet place where no one can hear. I mean, unless you're praying over someone or you're praying for healing for someone, do it in a quiet place and in a spirit of humility and understanding that just because someone needs your prayers doesn't mean that you're better than they are, right? It just gives you that you have an opportunity to intercede uh, with God on that for them. So what a blessing to be able to pray scripture for someone you love and care about. Anyway, uh, six, the sixth way that we can pray scripture is to confess and repent, confess and repent. Anyone who professes to be a Christian needs to confess their sin and ask God for forgiveness. I want you to hear me say something. If you've never asked for forgiveness, you're not a Christian. If you've never asked for forgiveness, you are not a Christian. If you've never confessed your sin to God and repented from it and turned, you're not a follower of Jesus. Now, do Christians still sin? Yes, Christians sin, absolutely. But that's why it's so important that we confess and repent. Psalm 51, um, one of my favorite psalms in in the entire Bible. This is written by David. Uh, David wrote it after he was confronted uh, in his adultery with Bathsheba. And Psalm 51 says this, David wrote, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. He says, Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. When we confess and repent in prayer, it looks something like this. Father, you know I have disobeyed you in this area of my life. Have mercy on me. I confess my sin to you, Father. I repent. I'm turning away from my sin. Cleanse me from it. This is one of the things that Jesus said we should pray for. In Matthew 6, he's teaching the disciples how to pray, and he says, pray and forgive us our debts 
as we have also forgiven our debtors. So six is confess and repent. Seventh way, final way, uh, this isn't the final way, but it's the final way I'm giving you today that we can pray scripture is to ask God a question. Ask any question. As we pray through scripture, you start to remember that conversations are a two-way street. How many relationships in your life do you have with people where all you do is talk and you never listen? Those relationships don't work really well. One of the best ways we can turn our hearts to God is to listen. Ask him a question and listen for the answer. I mean, Moses asked God, why, Lord? Why have you brought trouble in your people? King Saul prayed, why have you not answered your servant today? Job cried out, have I sinned against you? Why have you made me a target? David and Jesus both prayed, why have you forsaken me? Your question does not intimidate God. There is no question too hard for God. That should be a reminder for us. You can ask him anything. You can ask him lots of things. Praying a question may look something like this. Um, I could really use some encouragement today, Lord. Will you send someone to do that? Lord, why do I get so frustrated with that person? How about this? God, how am I doing at loving you with my whole heart and soul and mind and strength? Or here's a good one. This may be one of the most powerful things I've prayed in the last year. Um, Our groups in discipleship, uh, Pastor Kevin Russell encouraged me to pray this prayer. God, what do you think about me? How do you feel about me? Have you ever prayed that? Because here's what's true about many of us is that we uh, say things about ourselves that we would never say about our friends. We we look ourselves in the mirror and we speak uh, uh, evil to ourselves. We, We... Uh, talk about how dumb we are and how bad we are, and we speak things that God would never speak to us. But if you ask God, what do you think about me, and words from Scripture start to come to mind, it's a powerful moment that you can really see and hear what God says about you. Pray that this week. That's it. Seven simple, practical ways to pray Scripture. And if you start today, it can jumpstart your prayer life. You can have confidence that you're praying in line with God's will uh, since it's already in His Word. And it can help boost your intimacy with God. And like Jesus, it will make you more dependent on him. I just want to leave you with one more thought from from this book that I'm reading, Paul Miller's A Praying Life, about why prayer is so important for followers of Jesus. He says this, If you're not praying, then you are quietly confident that time, money, and talent are all you need in life. You'll always be a little too tired, a little too busy. But if, like Jesus, you realize that you can't do life on your own, then no matter how busy no matter how tired you are, you'll find the time to pray. Let's do that right now. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful that you give us a vehicle of prayer, uh, that you've given us a way to have communion with you and communication with you, and that through Jesus, you've made a way that we can be in relationship with you forever. I'm so thankful for that. And God, I just, I apologize. I repent of the times when I should come to you first in prayer and I go to other people to solve my problems or other people uh, to share my good news with. God, I am so thankful for you and the way that you've made a way for us. God, help us as we go into this time of communion to remember the sacrifice that you made for us and to, to want to grow and hunger for intimacy with you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, today is Palm Sunday. It's uh, the beginning of Holy Week in the church traditionally. It's the week that we celebrate the sacrifice that Jesus made so that we could have intimacy with God. And uh, since we're doing services on Thursday and Saturday and Sunday for Easter this week, we just want to remind you um, to take some time to, we're going to celebrate Easter next weekend. 
But let's don't forget that there was a really man, really real man who died a really a real death. Uh, so that we could have that intimacy with God. And so we're going to celebrate that today through the taking of communion. Uh, We've got two tables up here in the front and two in the back. In just a moment, I'm going to release you. You can go grab the elements. When you grab them, just notice there are two cups stacked together. The bread is in the bottom cup and the juice is in the top. The bread represents the body of Christ, which was broken for us. We take that first. And the juice represents the blood of Christ, which was spilled for us. You can take that second. If you're a follower of Jesus, uh, you're welcome to take communion with us. You don't have to be part of Genesis Church. Uh, This doesn't have to be your home church. But we do ask that you're a follower. If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you've never made that decision, just let this moment pass by. Listen to the words that the band sings and see what that might mean for your life. Um, But I I just invite you to take this moment to reflect and and, and ask God for a moment. God, search me. Know my heart. See if there's any offensive way in me. And if he points something out in this moment, Just repent of that before you take communion. Make sure that the lines of communication are open. Would you do that? I'm going to step down off the stage. You guys are welcome to come to the back or the front and grab the communion, and then we'll finish up the service.